This is Veterans Voices, the Secret War podcast series. This series accompanies individual interviews with Hmong veterans who were active during the Secret War. Veterans Voices, the Secret War is brought to you by Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities with Hmong Museum and In Progress, with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Three young Hmong American veterans reflect on their service and how the secret war affected their decision to enlist, whether it was family pressure, making a point, or both. These service members connect their experiences with the experiences of those who came before, hosted by Army veteran Jim Vu, with guests Marines veteran Lita Her and U.S. Airman Travis Yang. I want to welcome Travis and Lita. My name is Jim, and everybody's going to introduce themselves here in a little bit. But what we're doing today is we're interviewing Hmong American veterans and their experiences with that, as well as their connections with family members, parents uh, from the Secret War in Laos. I want to start with uh, Travis here. You want to introduce yourself, a short background in military history? Yeah, yeah. So Travis Yang, currently active duty right now, Air Force. I'm a, I'm a captain, United States Air Force. I've uh, been in for almost five years now. The motivation of, of joining is definitely just, uh, so my grandfather was a, a major in the Laotian Army during the Secret War of Laos. And I'm pretty sure we'll talk more about it later, but you know, just just their story, his story, and the story of uh, the you know the monk soldiers and even the monk pilots, right? The monk fighter pilots have been like on my toughest days. Th- those guys have been my my motivation to to serve and give back to this country. So, um, I was born in Massachusetts, uh, moved down here in two thousand. Yeah. So first of all, thank you for inviting us to share our voices and our experience. Um, my name is Halita Her. So I served with the Marine Corps for eight years, and I served with the Reserves uh, Military Police Company at Fort Snelling. Um, I did two tours under um, that unit um, to Iraq. And um, I spent, oh no, well, if we want to talk about going back to what Travis was saying about what inspired me to join in. Um, I was part of the ROTC program that really had a huge impact on me. And that was a huge driving factor in why I decided to go join the Marine Corps. My name is Jim Vu. I am the first of my family to be born here in America. I think that's a big deal for me because that was 42 years ago. And that was when the Hmong people first started coming to America. And there wasn't this big boom in Hmong population here yet. I joined the Army Reserve out right out of high school back in 1999. The reason why I joined was for practical reasons, um, a career path, mm-hmm. right? Uh, my father died when I was 14. I didn't have his support going into adulthood. My mother remarried uh, a year later, a new husband, and went to go live with her new husband in a different city, so I didn't have her support. So for I just needed... I needed... Uh, to start my career sooner rather than later than than some other people that I, I was surrounded with. So uh, back then, I, I I just thought joining the Army Reserve was a 
was a natural fit for me to sort of start that. I think like Travis, um, lots of influence in my family in terms of military service. My father, his name is uh, Bakuvu. He served in the Secret War, and he was a major in the Royal, Royal Army. But all that was before I was born, right? He'd retired long uh, before I was born. So those are just stories to me. But I still heard about it. Because I heard about it, I always knew that that was something that I could, that I could do as well. And when it came time for the opportunity to do it, I did it. Uh, Lita, let's move to you. What, uh, do you want to say more about what inspired you? Yes. And like you, I, um, well, ROTC did inspire me. And then I also joined, or I also enlisted right out of high school too. Um, I was 17 when I enlisted. And so I had to get my parents' signature. And um, I think more of it was to prove that I had something to prove. Because back in 2004, I didn't hear a lot of female, like especially Hmong girls being in the military let alone choosing the Marine Corps. And so when I was planning to enlist, I was trying to find female, Hmong female in the Marine Corps, and I couldn't find any. So I did find a different mentor, and he really motivated me to, to just stick to my guns and just join regardless if my parents um, mm-hmm. disapproved or not. And so I, I wanted to prove to my parents that I could do it, and my parents, because of their trauma from the war, they were they were very against my decision to go. And so the more that they were against my decision, the more I wanted to prove them wrong that I could do it. Um, so yeah, that's what really inspired me to go into the military. So my yeah my my brother, who's a year older than me, he actually enlisted in the army two months after I told my parents. And their reaction to him was very different. So they were like, oh, you want to go into the army? Okay, great. Like, go ahead and go. And so I, you know, I, at the period that I I saw their reaction to my brother joining compared to mine, I, that fueled me even more to want to go to to the Marines and then, just do my best while I was in the Marine Corps. And I wanted them to come to my graduation and see that I was going to graduate on top. So just their reaction to my brother and their doubts for me to be in the Marine Corps was a huge like driving factor. Wow, and you proved them all wrong, huh? I did. (laughs) I did prove them all wrong. Here's a trick question. Who did you prove right finishing your goals? Myself. Mm-hmm. Because I am sort of in a selfish way, I, I did it for myself. Like I wanted to go against the grain. I wanted to break the gender norms. Um, and I, I just, I asked myself if I, if I really wanted this and why I wanted it. And again, it's a really selfish reason. It's to prove that I could do something that not a lot of girls would choose to do, especially, like especially Hmong girls. Great. Mm-hmm. Travis, Yeah. say more about what inspired you. Yeah, so, um, you know, it's a stereotypical Asian household. Um, parents, especially my dad. My dad's like, dude, you got, really you got three options, right? You can be a doctor, 
like a medical doctor, you can be a lawyer, or you can join the military and follow your, your grandfather's footsteps, right? Wasn't that smart um, in school. Um, I wasn't like a some kind of 4.0 student, you know, and and honors and, and all that. So I was like, yeah, I think I think military might be might be for me. Um, but you know, fast forward to just going to college. I went to U- University of Minnesota, Twin Cities, and then I joined ROTC there. Um, and I I joined the Air Force ROTC with you know little knowledge of Air Force and you know the mission and the vision, uh, but. That too, kind of just just being around um, people like that, you know, uh, who inspired to be, uh, you know, the, the discipline uh, that the military, you know, the foundation of that, right? As little as, you know, hey, you got to dress nice, you got to do your hair, um, you know, respect everybody and and lead uh, teamwork, all the, you know, the, the fundamentals of, of military um, really, you know, kept me in but also again um like i said earlier that on my toughest days you know when when people are you know you're in basic training or whatever people are yelling at you um it seems like you just want to quit like uh the reason that kept me in was i thought back to you know my grandfather like hey uh i don't know you know the specifics and you know their missions and what they did but I could only imagine you know being in the jungle um, bullets flying and you, you know, you're fighting for your life. Like, man, what am I complaining about these extra pushups, these extra sit-ups? Why, why am I complaining about that? Um, you know, like it's nothing compared to what he went through. So you just got to, you know, keep, keep pressing, push forward and, uh, do it for him, do it, do it for these guys. You know what I mean? So that, that has been kind of my, my driving force and still is to this day. Um, so, and, you know, and, and just, so I'm the only son too. So <laughs> <laughs> a lot of expectations. Um, I have three sisters uh, and I'm the only son. So obviously as the only son, a lot of, a lot of pressures on my shoulders. Granted, I, I do get, you know, I, I would say, um, I do get a little special treatment as, as the only son, you know, you know, stereotypically. Um, but at the same time, again, a lot of pressure on your shoulders where like, hey, you're like, you're the only son that's going to carry on, um, you know, my dad's legacy, my grandfather's legacy and carry on that, at least within our Yang family, you know, that's, it's, it's on my shoulders. So just, just that expectation as well to do well in, in everything I do, you know, um, and also just to, to excel um, in the military, you know, it, it being my career, you know, that's, that's also been a huge motivating factor in my life as well. So, um, yeah, I think that's, you know, that, that hits all the, all the spots. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Travis. Yeah. Um, yeah, I hear a lot of, um, family pressure. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, you got a legacy you got to live up to, but. But let me say, sorry to interrupt you, Jim. Go ahead. Huge props to Halita. Um, like hearing her story. Being, being, you know, wanting to to prove herself, especially join the, the the Marine Corps. Like, man, that's I was too scared to join the Marine Corps. So, props <laughs> to you. Um, and and as it's really, you know, as as an officer, uh, I don't want to take any credit for the enlisted people. You know, even you, you know, the enlisted troops. You guys are the foundation 
Uh, you guys, without you guys, the, the mission doesn't get done. There is no, there is no uh, whether it's your power, you know, uh, your superiority, ground, whether it's ground power or whatever. I, I don't know what you guys say in the, the Marines or Army, but, but you know, props to you guys. So thanks, you know, thanks for you guys' service too. So, yeah. Again, thank you again, thank you again Travis. Yeah. Um, don't want you to shortchange yourself. I mean, having to live up to expectations that mm. you didn't decide for yourself. Other people told you about this. <laughs> I mean, that's pressure. I mean, that takes a lot of work to see through. And um, I, I got to commend you for that because um, I've seen it go the other way where yeah. folks don't do that. Mm. And they're like the only son or the oldest son. So appreciate you uh, stepping up your leadership. Yeah, and Lita, yes, um, <laughs> I heard a lot of you proving folks wrong in there, and mm-hmm. um, but that was for a good thing, you know. That was that was that wasn't to say that I didn't get the feeling that that was to tell them that they're wrong, but yeah. that's to tell them that you're more. Yeah, absolutely, you know? and I would I would agree with that. Yes, uh, I wish there was, there's a little bit of. Travis in me where I had to live up to some legacy. But yeah. again, my father has already passed away and no one was telling me to yeah. go serve. Um, um, he wasn't there to pat me on the back, see me go or anything like that. Not there to see me come back. And I wish I could prove people wrong. <laughs> I wish I could prove my mother wrong who uh, married a husband and left our family. And mm-hmm. But even she wasn't around anymore when I came back. So for me, it was really... It wasn't for the family that I had at mm-hmm. the time or didn't have, depending on how you look at it. It was for the family that I was going to build going forward, mm. right? I had a vision, mm-hmm. marrying somebody, had a vision, starting a family with someone special, had a vision of having children. And I knew one day that the resources that um, I build here and the skills that I build will one day serve, uh, work to serve them. And that was always what I was thinking about right, during the, the hard times, during the times where you didn't know what was going to happen. Yes. You know, you thought that this person was going to serve with you, but they didn't. <laughs> and you get somebody totally different. I mean, the army is different. It, they just switch people out. <laughs> they don't care. Yeah. Um, but that's what inspired me, you know, and I'm, I, I can honestly say that I'm finally at a place where I actually achieved what I envisioned. It, it, it wasn't with, it wasn't who exactly I, I thought would be there, but um, everybody sort of fell into place. My wife, uh, I eventually had a family, and you know they're 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 reaping the rewards of what I did back then, and they weren't even they didn't even exist back yeah. then. So we're moving on to the next question, and this I feel like this is a two part question. Okay, so I want to break it up into two parts. How has the history of the secret war affected your life? and decision to serve. I want to stay with the history of the secret war there and just share a little bit about what you heard from your, obviously we're too young to have been in there during the secret war, but share about what you heard from family, what you learned from um, reading, hearing other uh, family members and community members. Uh, Travis, why don't we start with you? You know, like like I said, you know, again, it's it's because of my grandfather and just hearing the stories. Um, so I, the story I've heard about my grandfather, which which always comes to mind, and it's it's it has impacted some of my you know critical like when you have to make a decision as a leader, like and you just and just go, right? So the story I've heard 
um, from my grandparents and my dad was, uh, so my grandfather being, being kind of the officer in charge of, of an area, I don't know the specifics, right. But, um, he knew that his base was going to get attacked. And instead of saying, uh, you know, instead of retreating, he said, no, we're going to hold our ground and we're going to fight, you know, and that's the story I heard about my grandfather. Uh, and that was the last, you know, and obviously in that fight, that's when he it was KIA. Um, but that, you know, just hearing that is like always impacted me in, in a way of like never leaving my troops behind. I think, I think as, as backtrack, as a leadership in a, in a leadership position, he had the choice to, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to dip out. But instead he said, no, I'm going to stay with my troops and we're going to, you know, we're going to stay together and we're going to, we're going to fight together. Um, just, so just hearing that story has always, you know, um, ingrained in me the sense of I'm never going to leave any troop behind. No matter what happens, like we're going to start it, finish it together. And um, so, I, you know, I guess I, I could say that. But I think just the secret war, just hearing about family stories, you know, outside of military, like, um, somewhat intertwined, but my, so just talking to my, my uncle the other day, um, when they crossed the Mekong river, uh, him and I think my family, it was probably like 10 of us. They were taking a raft across, across the Mekong river and they're getting shot at. And, uh, he saw one of our uncles, um, like swim down. So he already made it, but the uncle, which kind of a distant, relative decided to come back down and help them out. Um, so with that, just like the, the small chances of us being here today as Hmong Americans, um, I try not to take, to take that for granted because there's so many people who try to cross the Mekong River that didn't make it, right? So um, just having that realization that, hey, um, there's some folks that weren't as fortunate as us, so don't take, you know, don't take this opportunity. Don't take this moment for granted. So that's always been something I, I would say the secret war, you know, has, has taught me as well. Right. Um, but, but yeah. Appreciate that, Travis. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah. There's lots of stories that um, I heard from my family about survival, mm -hmm. um, about losing loved ones, about violence. Um, but the secret war isn't just, um, I feel like it isn't just the tactical parts of the war, right? The, um, it's also like the domestic fronts and the migration and the changing of locations of where you live. So I just want to broaden it out um, to include all, all those experiences as well. Uh, Halita, you want to yeah, share Yeah, could you, you repeat the question again? I'm sorry. How has the history of the secret war affected your life? Um, you know, I, I had a reverse experience. So when I had joined, again, it was for very shallow reasons. It was for personal reasons. And I, I couldn't understand why my parents were so against me going until um, after my military, after I had joined the military. And then I, I started to dig more into the Hmong history in the secret war. Because I, as a young teenage, like 17-year-old, I, I wasn't very into my own identity then. Um, so after I joined, I finally realized what my mom was talking about 
and why she was so concerned why I wanted to go because she knew that I was going to go to Iraq if I had joined. And she was right. Um, and her, her trauma and her experiences from the war, she didn't want me to experience that. And I didn't understand that until after I'd gone to Iraq and after I had experienced things there. And then I came home and me deciding to become a teacher for a Hmong study school that I started to dig more into the, the war and the history that I, I began to understand um, how, how like my experience and the Hmong, uh, the secret war, how intertwined that is and how I can connect my experiences um, with with what my parents had experienced, my my grandpa, um, my uncles and them, I'm able to connect on a deeper level when I'm I'm having conversations with them about what they went through, and especially teaching the kids. I'm able to come from a more understanding background um, when I'm teaching about what happened in the war. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Helida. Mm-hmm. Um, I've actually had to learn a lot about the Secret War. Um, like like the both of you here, I've, yeah. I've heard stories um, from all my family members. Uh, and I've also done some studying. Um, when I went to college, I actually majored in history. And uh, this, this is like a, a major background, a good sector of what I studied. And... Um, the studies don't do any justice to the stories. Um, uh, what I learned from the studies are like the different phases of the war, how mm-hmm. the first phase was more of just a guerrilla warfare stage and then it became more of a conventional war. Mm-hmm. And then once they couldn't sustain the war, that's kind of when they had to, to leave, right? And throughout all that, the transitions of the phases of the war, our, our people were transitioning from village system of living to migrating to these um, large military bases like uh, Longcheng. And that's how Longcheng got so big, right? Right. It's like at its height, like maybe 50,000 or more people there. And that's, that's, that's that's pretty much a large city. Um, But the story that I want to share that I think um, I really, I really think about is my mom, my father was married to two wives. So my mom was the Nia, Nia Yo, and uh, Nia Hla was the mother who was mar- married to my father when he was serving uh, for, the, for the most part of his service. And they had an older brother, or I had an older brother. They had a, they had a son. And he died when he was like 10 years old. He died as a child. And I only know this because in recent years, Kutunia uh, Hla is suffering from a stroke, and I suppose she can no longer keep like the bitterness in her heart about how she felt when my father was away for so long. But uh, she said that um, my older brother got sick, and he was sick for a long time, and she wanted my father to come back to visit to see him, and he just never did. And my older brother ended up dying, and my father didn't come back to see him until after he was buried. Mm-hmm. And this is somebody that's a part of my family that I didn't know about that was born before, that died before I was born. And 
I think that the domestic part of the war is something that we don't talk nearly enough about. Um, right. We should definitely give the veterans their due. Uh, blood, sweat, and tears, they're the ones out there fighting the battles. But what did that do to uh, our women and, uh, and our children at, at the home front when right. we lived in a village system and we needed the men? You know, so um, I ask for people to think about that whenever we celebrate things like uh, Hmong American Day. <laughs> right, absolutely. Yeah. I did, I served with, I wanted, wanted to say I was confident in go, deciding to serve, but when I served, I served with a certain kind of expectations, right? Um, that that I, I, I come from a line of people who, who have done this work, um, that there's a standard that I need to uphold. So every time that I was asked, tasked to do something, I always did it to the best of my ability. I was never, I always teamed work. <laughs> I was never that person who said I didn't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the, uh, the Army put me in some difficult positions. I'll tell you a little bit about my deployment experience. I was actually uh, serving a unit in, in Garland, Texas, a transportation unit. And when I got deployed, I didn't even deploy with that unit. I deployed with a transportation unit in, in New Mexico. So I was asked to serve with people that I didn't, didn't even know. Yeah. I mean, what other work does that to you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what other profession does that to you? So um, I just fall back on what I know about my family in the Secret Ward, the hardships that they've been through. And, and I think to myself, they did it. I can do it. And... That was never really a big thing to me. Well, I kind of want to backtrack to what you said earlier too. How um, you, you mentioned your, you know, your your mom, what the Nelana? Yeah, she was waiting for the, your dad to come back home and and spend time with your family or yeah. things like that. Mm -hmm. It really it hit me there too. Um, I want to talk about my dad real quick. Like, so I remember my dad's experience as my. I think my dad was maybe like toddler, maybe four or five years old. But when my dad or when there's always stories of my grandpa, like the, the very few times he came back to the village, you know, after war, he'd always ask about, hey, how is the education? You know, are my sons going to school? How are the grades? Are they, you know, are they doing well in school? Um, that was always the only thing he asked. That's, you know, these are the stories I hear. And, you know, that trickles down to me in the sense that, so my dad, uh, that's really all he knew about his dad. You know, my grandpa was value, um, like education. My dad uh, came to the U.S. and he, his, his life goal was to get his PhD because he heard that when he was young, his, his grandpa would always, or dad, his dad would always ask about how his education. So trickle that down to me, right? And that same, obviously, education is is huge. Is why um, my dad told me to go to college and then become an officer, whatever, whatnot. But you know, so that 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 kind of trickled down to me in the sense. So the, in the way, you know, the Secret War has influenced me in that aspect too, where you know, from from generation to, to generation. Um, so then, in itself, you know, because um, hey, you know, if it wasn't for uh, 
my dad knowing my my grandpa valued education, maybe my dad, you know, he wouldn't have told me to, hey, go to college and become an officer. One one story that I do remember my mom telling me, she was about 10 or 11 and they were in the jungle running away. And um, while in the jungle, she had her little cousin on her back and a grenade had gone off. And so everybody had scattered and she was all alone in the jungle. So she she's 10, 11 years old and she has a little baby, like two-year-old on her back. And it, it was getting dark and she had no idea where to go. And so she said she just decided to build a little rain fort that night and just wait for somebody, hopefully, to come past. So then she would just be able to go with them. And thankfully, um, that night, a couple had passed. And they said, they asked her where she was going. She said she's going to the river, but the grenade had gone off. So she lost her parents. She don't know where they went. So they said, okay, you can go with us. And... um We'll take you to the river. So when she got to the river, my grandma and grandpa were there. And so they she was able to find her family again. But to again, a 10-year-old, 11-year-old, having a baby on your back and having to care for the baby and make the, that decision to say, you know what, I'm going to build a fort. I'm just going to stay here until somebody comes and find me. Um, and, you know, adapting and overcome. We There's a phrase in the Marine Corps that we said, we always say, you need to just adapt and overcome. And she was able to do that. And I, I think if I had never served I wouldn't understand her situation on that level. Um, and that really was a driving factor in in a lot of the things that I, I did in the Marine Corps. So again, going back to what you said, where you're like, you were attached to like different units. That's how I was because I was one of the very few females um, in my unit. Actually, I was only the only female in my unit. And so for a while, anyways, before we got another female, but I, I got attached to different units um, to to deploy. And again, having to prove yourself over and over again, especially being a female, especially being small. Like I, I just, it was very exhausting mentally and physically. But as soon as I got to a new unit, I knew I had to start over again, no matter what rank I was. I mean, I was a sergeant when I had, I got attached to my like unit going to Iraq. And again, I was a sergeant, but I was a female. And so I had to prove myself over and over again. Um, so adapting and overcome, that was something that I, I didn't, I, I don't think I would understand if I didn't, if I, if my mom and them, if my mom had never told me that story. And that was something that I, I always carried with me while I was in the military as well, serving, is she was able to adapt and overcome I, I can adapt and overcome. I think I, I joined in 99 and fun fact about my basic training is we were the last all-male basic training in uh, Fort Knox, Kentucky. And after that, basic training in Fort Knox was going to be integrated both male and female. So, I mean, that's just 20 years ago. So it hasn't been that long in military history where male and females serve together in that capacity. Mm-hmm. So this is pretty new. Um, Lita is breaking new ground, particularly being a woman who's not white. Um, they, I, I don't want to speak for you, Lita, but I, I think you, may, you probably ought to prove yourself more than some of those other females, even more, right? Um, 
but it's tough. The needs are different for females. Um, I remember serving with um, one in my unit. She did the whole tour with me and she had a child back in the States. And that child was just like maybe two years old. And um, it was tough. It was tough um, being a mother and being away like that. You don't get training for that. They don't train you to do that. I mean, what do they do? They give you some extra bonuses to give to them. Yeah. <laughs> Back in the state, that's all they do. They don't give you any childcare. Um, there's no buddy to help create a plan in the back back in the states to pay the bills and get the child to school there's nothing like that mm-hmm. uh i think definitely now um i mean just my experience it's even even just going through training there's there's a lot more women yeah and um you know y- y'all a force to be we- reckoned with yeah. you guys you guys are have have changed the the culture um, and, and I'd say for, for the better. I do see right now, you know, you, like Halita said, there's still kind of a women that, uh, so I'm speaking from a kind of a an officer perspective. Like I think there are some women that still, I, I feel depending on, you know, what they're doing in the military, right? They have to kind of prove themselves, like, like you said. Because um, like, for example, I, I worked in a maintenance unit and it's maybe like less than five percent are are females, and I think you know these these girls have to work twice as hard to prove themselves. You know, we're in a when we're in a leadership meeting or like a conference, there's like one female in there, uh, and th- the rest are like men. Um, I can only imagine how daunting that can be. You know, being the only female and having to to kind of speak up and make a decision. Um, you have to have, I feel like you have to have twice as much credibility, you know, um, just cause it's, you know, you're, you're the, you're the minority now. Um, but then again, you know, I, I have seen, um, female officers who walk into a, to a building and people, you see the, the, the face on their people, the respect that they have to give, even I would say even fear. You know, because there's you know female officers that come in and then um, they kind of just steal the room, and it's you know that they're in charge, and that's for me. Um, I think that's uh, that's beautiful, you know. And one day I was like, man, if I ever have a daughter, I want her to be like that, <laughs> where she walks into a room and people are like, whoa, hey, we gotta make sure, hey, tighten up, you know, make sure your uniform looks good, make sure your hair looks good, you know, um, the you know the uh the boss is in you know so that's that's what i would say about the you know females in the military um it's you know i think it's only the, it's only the beginning you guys are you guys are forced to be reckoned with so that's what i'll say what, what know, is the camaraderie camaraderie between females and in the marines <laughs> um i think i think we just have a mutual understanding that we need to support each other because there's not many of us, especially in the Marine Corps, it's even smaller. And so in my unit, I was the only female for the longest time until we got one more. And that was, that took eight years. Um, so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough subject to talk about 
only because everybody's experience is so different. But my my experience as a as a female in the Marine Corps, uh, it was actually a very positive one, even though it was exhausting physically and mentally. It was a very positive one, and it was very positive because at a very early stage in my military career, I knew right away I had to set goals, boundaries, and I and I had to set rules for myself. So I had these rules where I'm like, I'm never going to date a military guy while I'm in the military and I'm going to stay focused and any unit that I get attached to, I'm going to dominate when I get there. And so I, I had these goals and that's what I was always working towards. And because I, I think I had these goals, I met a lot of good leaders along the way and the leaders, they saw my my ambitions. And so through that, I mean, it, it took a little while for them to see it because I had to prove myself every, every unit that I went to. But every unit that I went to, I got married to as promotion. So overall, my experience as a female in the Marine Corps or in the military, it, it was a very positive one. And I was able to bring a lot of those learned experiences into my career today. That's uh, Helena brings a good point. I think um, in our current generation in the military, like it doesn't matter if you're a female, color skin you are, um, if you're willing to work hard um, and really, you know, if people can see that, hey, this, this person actually cares. Um, you know, I, I think it's the military has become very, uh, they, they've really worked hard on that and and kind of weeded out like, hey, she's a female. We don't want her. Um, they, they've really got weeded out. So I think that's, you know, just one at that point on for sure. Um, that's the current stage of our military, at least in the Air Force, uh, you know, at least in the Air Force. <laughs> yeah. I'm encouraged to hear that from Travis and Halita because, I mean, I served in the early 2000s. I don't think we were there yet. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I don't. Same. Just based yeah. on my observations, yeah. uh, a lot of the a lot of the women struggled. Mm. Even even the ones in leadership positions, they yeah. weren't respected. They weren't taken seriously. I mean, Jim, I would <laughs> I would agree with you. You know, um, when I did go to the unit, we we were we were kind of treated like the plague, right? Mm. But again, it's it's going in and saying, I'm I'm here. And I'm not here to drag you down or you guys down. And I'm here to be a part of you guys. So sooner or later, you, you're going to have to accept it. Um, just so, just earning, being able to earn their respect. Yeah, I also served in the early 2000s too. And so I, I understand what what you're saying. And I, I experienced that. However, it, it didn't it didn't really deter me from my goals at the time. What was the reaction of your friends and families when you enlisted? Yeah, so, I mean, again, my family, my parents, I, I, I was one of the, I was the first daughter and the first girl in my family to go to the military. So it came as a shock to all of my family, to my uncles and them too. Um, my friends, I think they knew. They knew because... I I had told them early on that I, I wanted to join the military, and before I turned eighteen, 
I had enlisted. And so it was very positive. Like in the yearbook, they're like, mm-hmm. see, like four years from now in the military or something. So my my friends were very supportive. Um, they were very encouraging. It's great to hear. Mm-hmm. What about you, Travis? Yeah. Um, no, it was, it was by the time it was, it was very, we, we had long discussions about it before I, I committed to it. Um, like I said earlier, it was kind of like, it was more driven from my, from my father. Uh, my mom is kind of like, Hey dude, do whatever you want to do. Um, but my dad's like, no, you, you know, you have to think like 10 years ahead, 20 years ahead. What do you want to do in life? Um, so my dad's kind of, he's that type of dad. Um, so by the time I, I was officially in, you know, um, well, I will say, I think I joined the first year I was in ROTC in college. The f- I only did one semester and I actually quit because I was like, eh, I don't think this is for me. And then, so the next semester, I, this is my freshman year. I was like, yeah, whatever. Um, I just kind of did my own thing, try to explore different majors and and different things in college. And then that summer, I remember vividly, uh, I just, I was like, man, I don't know what to do with my life. And then I had a conversation with my dad and we talked for about maybe an hour or so. And I was like, man, should I do this? Should I do this Air Force thing again? And we just talked about it. We, you know, we went back to like talking about my grandpa, talking about Secret War. Um, and, I, and I said, okay, I'm going to rejoin and recommit. Uh, so that conversation, so we were like, okay, so him and I were like, cool, we'll do it. Let's do it. And then, you know, then I just pressed forward and then eventually commissioned. And so, you know, the family, obviously, they, they were very proud, you know, very excited for me. It's great. I hear a lot of support from uh, the both of you. Yeah. Except for you, Lita. <laughs> <laughs> they did. They supported after. My dad was really proud afterwards. <laughs> and it was funny because I graduated boot camp um, as a series guide. So mm-hmm. um, there's two female platoons. And then you have your your um, your platoon guides. And then you have the series guide for the whole series. And so I was able to graduate as a series guide. And... Because I was a series guide, my recruiter had had bought their plane tickets to come see me. And then I also graduated as a Molly Marine. So Molly Marine is only for one female out of the whole um, training Mm. for boot camp. And so you have to be selected. And then you get your name indoctrinated into the Molly Marine, um, I don't know what what it's called, organization. And it's only one female per company and so I was able to get that too um and so my parents when they heard when my drill instructor was telling them all of this they were like they couldn't believe it they're like what so they came and saw me at graduation at the very front and then they heard that I also got the Molly Marine award and so they're like oh like my daughter like you know she's so tiny and she did all of this and like and i just remember one of my drill instructors saying you know your daughter is like a dynamite in a little like mm-hmm. in a little box or something <laughs> like be careful you know she's he, she she looks like she's harmless but she's huge so um just to be able to to show my parents and then to see their change 
my dad, like that day, he went to the store, to the PX and then bought like shirts, like Marine dad and my daughter's in the Marine, like decal. So, um, and I think my experience changed them too. Cause afterwards, after um, my military experience, I had actually gone to live overseas in Taiwan for five years. So right after I was done my military service, um, and I was, I graduated from college the same weekend, I, I packed everything and I moved overseas to live in Taiwan for five years. And, and my decision to do that, my parents were like, okay, go ahead. They trusted me in my decision. They didn't even question. They said, how long are you going to be gone? I said, one year. And so they're like, okay. I went, I was gone for five years and then I came back. And I think, I think my experience really opened up my parents' um, view because before they were very, sh- like, we were very sheltered. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't want us to get mm. hurt. And they think, oh, you know, you're a girl. You shouldn't be doing those things. Um, and we want to protect you and you should just get married, you know. So my I can see that from my experience, my parents were able to broaden their view a little bit. Great. Great. With Travis, he got his family's blessing. Mm-hmm. I got it after. <laughs> With Lita, she had to win them over. Yes. <laughs> with me, um, I lived with my brother at the time. Um, but um, Paul was living with us too. And nobody supported me going. They just wanted me to try to go to college and work. And, um, and I think they did that because that's what they did. But what they didn't know is when they did that, mom and dad was still around. They supported them when they did that. Mm-hmm. So, so um, I had to go against the grain here, against their wishes, because I knew that um, um, I can't just do this on you guys' goodwill. You know, I had mm-hmm. to, I had to do this and really build something for myself and. Right. For the long run, for the short and the long run. And they didn't support me, but um, when I completed and I began to sort of um, complete the little stages of boot camp and uh, MOS training and all that stuff, and eventually I got deployed and I finished that, I think only after all that they began to realize what what it really was, mm-hmm. you know, and how 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 it changed me yeah. and changed my changed my life. So I guess in a sense, Halita, I had to win them over too. Yeah. But mm. that really wasn't my that. that really wasn't what I was doing <laughs> when I was over there. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't trying to win them over. Oh friends, uh friends was another thing. Mm. Um I came I graduated from like a I guess you would consider it like a high school in the suburbs and not a lot of people were joining the military mm-hmm. and I, I may have been like one of the one or two people who joined I don't think they understood you know so when I told them that I was joining they're like well, why are you doing that but I always felt that I didn't belong <laughs> in that high school mm-hmm. so initially I I owe a lot of it to my dad right I think he mentioned earlier like um, your dad wasn't really there to guide you kind of did your own thing right Kind of made your own decisions. Uh, for me, I really think if it, if it really wasn't for my dad, I probably just would have enlisted in the army. Um, but he's kind of the one who said, "Hey, 
you know, I know I give you three options, right? Lawyer, doctor, or military. Uh, if you're going to do the military, uh, you need to go to school first and become an officer. Um, so he's kind of the one who guided he, you know, he guided me with everything. And he said, "Hey, dude, um, you can do Air Force or Navy. Don't be going to join the Army and, and Marine Corps. I don't want you guys. I don't want you to be in the front line." And so I think the safest option is, is was Air Force and Navy, you know, in his perspective. So um, that's how I joined Air Force. Um, so I, I, I spent some time in uh, Florida, but then the hurricane hit. Then I was moved to Las Vegas, Nevada, Nellis Air Force Base. Uh, I was there for about three years. Uh, after, after Vegas, I went to Korea. So I just came back. I was in Korea for about a year. Yeah, I, I literally came back like last week from Korea. Um, now I'm going to Nebraska, um, like on Friday. I'm leaving to Nebraska and I'm going to be doing, it's called Sustainment Flight Commander, but in charge, I'm going to be in charge of the, the fitness center, um, all the, the lodging on base, and I'll also be in charge of the dining facilities. That's kind of a little anxious about it. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a lot bigger responsibility, but I'm super excited. I served with the military police company over at Fort Snelling and I went reserve. Well, initially I had joined active duty and my parents had pushed back so much that I, my dad said, the only way I would sign your contract is if you change it to reserve. So I said, okay, I, had to make a deal. So I said, all right, I'll, I'll go to the military police company there. But after I graduated from boot camp and MOS training, I came back. I never, I didn't go back to the, um, Fort Snelling. I was actually attached to different units because we had to go to Iraq. And so I was attached to the Joliet Marines in, from Chicago or from Illinois. Um, they were an artillery unit and we went and we did my first deployment in Iraq uh, in the detention facility center. Um, and then my second deployment, I was attached to the Hawaiian, Hawaii grunt unit. And we also went to do um, detention work. So those were my two tours. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Halita. Uh, when I joined, I joined the Army because I just felt like that was a natural fit for me. I thought about um, Navy. It could be a possible branch, but I don't like to be out in the ocean for very long. <laughs> I'm a land person. And I thought about Marines too, but uh, I just felt like um, there, I just felt like that was a different type of mentality. Um, Army just fit better for me and my personality. Um, I was a mechanic, so I was attached mainly to like transportation units. Um, and I actually deployed with a transportation unit out in uh, Silver City, New Mexico. And that was a unique unit because there was only like 20 of us. Mm -hmm. And if you know anything about the armies, it's, it's usually like huge units, yeah. any, anywhere between like 200 or more sometimes. Yeah. So the fact that I was with 20 individuals for a long time, it felt like like that TV series MASH, you get to know them really yeah. well. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we all sort of just stayed in two tents. Upon hearing different veterans' experiences, I now realize that that's a very unique experience. Yeah. 
I only did the reserve. So typically the reserve is a little different from active duty. You, you go on the weekends to a military unit that's typically within the city, typically close, close by, and you get two weeks out of the year. Um, that's like our, our training, our, our, our little training for active duty. So when I got deployed, that was like the, that was a huge step up from what I'm used to. And that was a big life-changing experience. Um, I didn't know these people when I served them. It took me like a whole month to get used to who they are, how they run their unit. But I was deployed for like 14 months. I mean, that's how they used reserve units back then. Mm. I think it was different for active duty units. They kept us for as long as they could. You know, and and if they if they could, they would they want us back as soon as we we could they as soon as they could get us, and that's yeah. what that's what happened to a lot of veterans. Mm. Yeah. But I was at the tail end of my service by that point. I felt that I was done after that. I, I didn't want it as a career. Mm. Yeah. I saw how that type of work just devastated lives. Mm. It really did. Yeah. To be away that long. You're talking about people who who aren't don't do this as a profession, and they had other jobs, other lives. Mm. You keep them out that long, you're destroying their family, and that's the experience that I took away. Mm. And knowing what I wanted, I wanted a family, I wanted to be a father, husband. Um, I learned that that wasn't the way forward for me. All right, I'll start with uh, Lita with this question: What are you up to now? How has your how has the skills you gained and the service that you provided translate to where you are right now? I'm a teacher now, and I teach um, at a Hmong study school. So it's a Hmong dual language program where um, our Hmong students are learning the Hmong language plus English plus the Hmong history. So it's 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 unique because it's one of the first Hmong schools in St. Paul Public Schools. Um, I got married, and my husband is also a Marine. He was <laughs> he was he was a he's also he was a former Marine, and it's funny because we were he was I was he was on the wing side and I was on the field like the MP side, so we were actually pretty close to each other. We just never met. We're running a business together on top of teaching. Um, how has my military experience translated into my life right now? Um, I, I think, again, it comes back to the phrase of adapt and overcome. So I chose to go live overseas in Taiwan when I didn't know the language. And I my experience in the military really played a huge role because, again, adapt and overcome. I went to live in Taiwan for a year. I learned the language in a year. And then I, I restarted my life over there. I came back and again, I had to restart my life back in the U.S. because I was gone for so long that I didn't build a, any network for work. And so just coming back, having to adapt and overcome again, <laughs> starting my career over again. Um, and then in the classroom, being with like 30 kids and just having to adapt to so many different personalities, having to navigate all of their needs and wants and their their behaviors. What's the age group? They're 10, year, 10 and 11-year-olds. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. And so um, 
And I think my the leadership experience that I experienced in the military really helps me to connect with my students. Like they just know, like um, they just know, like okay, my teacher is for real, and I just got to do what she says, right? <laughs> and then just knowing how to lead really helps with classroom management. Um, and again, just being just being able to adapt is one of the like greatest skills that I have taken away from my military experience. Thank you, Lita. Mm-hmm. You summed up a lot of what I was going to say. Yeah, <laughs> Travis. Yeah, I share a little bit about me. I think a lot of what Leah said resonate with me. You know, it's a lot of. Um, you get, I get a lot of practice of making good decisions during adversity, right? Uh, a lot of conflict management, uh, a lot of personality negotiating. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a lot of what Lita said resonate with me. And what that amounts to is uh, good leadership. You know, you know how to get the most of who you have. Uh, I always have the philosophy of when somebody sits across the table from me, I don't wish I had somebody else. I need to get the most out of the people who are here with me. And that's kind of what my military service uh, taught me mm-hmm. because I don't get to choose who I serve with. You know, we, we have to get the best of each other, complete the mission, complete the goal. And I take that to where I am right now, serving on the school board for St. Paul Public Schools. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I joined the board when Marnie Shung passed away. And at that point, uh, the board was devastated with grief. Um, and I just came in and I knew what to do. You know, I knew how to get everybody on the same page. You know, we needed to talk about Marnie. We needed to talk about the loss and how to move forward. And I just rallied everybody and we moved forward and we continue to make tough decisions and we continue to make tough decisions today. And I think that's a mark of my experience serving, mm-hmm. serving with people who I witnessed go through adversity, having to make difficult decisions, and mm-hmm. I myself having be, having to be in those situations and continuously do that. Right. I, I wish, I wish it could be something that I put on a resume, but I can't. I have to show it to you. I can't just mm-hmm. tell you. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I would agree. Yeah. What advice would you have for younger home folks interested in military service? Halita, um, you you said JROTC inspired you. Can you? Yeah. What, what would you tell young folks these days? And you're in the school system right now. Yeah, it's it's funny because I, I do mentor a lot of Hmong girls now who are thinking about going to the military. And it's funny because I'm I'm hearing the same stories where a lot of Hmong girls say my parents don't support me to go. Um, but I always tell them it, it was one of the best experiences for me. I grew and learned a lot from it. And if I had never taken the risk to go, I think my life would be very different now. And so um, my advice would be to take, don't be afraid to take risks that's going to benefit your life in the future. And and you have to see, you have to plan five, 10 years ahead. It's not just the moment. You're going in the military, it's a, it's a vision. And so what do you want out of the military? Um... And the decisions that you make, 
really do impact your life later. So don't be afraid to take that, to make that risk. Thank you, Lita. Mm-hmm. Travis? And this, some, some mentors have told me this, like, don't, don't underestimate yourself. Don't, don't shy away because you think you're not good enough. Because um, chances are you probably are. You are good enough. Um, you just have to believe in yourself. You have to have confidence um, and courage to step out of your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope that, and I, I think if you go in with the right mentality, mm-hmm. right. the people, you're not doing it alone. The people Absolutely. will help you get there. Um, so you, you just have to take that, that leap of faith and, and trust in yourself. Um, but again, Halita hit it on where it starts with the vision. You have to go in there knowing what you want in life. Yeah. And like, like, like you, Jen, like you said, you just had, you had a vision that um, you knew this would be good for your future family, mm-hmm. uh, your future wife, your future kids. It, you, the foundation that the military is going to give you is going to help you with that. And I think where a lot of people in the military go and they get in trouble is when they don't have, they go in without that vision. Right. They go with, without purpose. Um, but once you find that purpose, um, things kind of fall into line. And that's what keeps you, like I said, you know, my purpose was, you know, my family, my grandpa, right? And I think the the hard part is when you kind of lose your, you, you know, you don't have a purpose, you don't have something to fall back on that reminds you why you're you're in here in the first place. Right. That's, that's important. So um, again, so, for, you know, hopefully... And this is what I appreciate about this podcast. Hopefully, if this does reach out to to younger folks, especially you know our 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 Hmong Hmong um, kids, uh, don't underestimate yourself. You know, um, you're probably a lot smarter, stronger than you actually think you are. Uh, join and find mentors. You can't do this alone, um, and people are going to want to help you, and they will help you. But it starts with you. You know. Uh, you guys have to take that leap of faith and trust in yourself. So that's what I'll say. I get to talk to my share of Hmong students too, and some of them are in the uh, GROTC program. I guess what I would forewarn them is that the short-term gains of their military service isn't as noteworthy as what they will get in the long long run. Right. Because when we're younger and we're in our 20s and 30s and we're serving, it kind of feels like we're all still in the same place. We're building our lives, our business. Mm-hmm. We're building our role in our communities. We're building our leadership. And I guess you don't see the fruits of your labor yet, but when you get older and you, you serve the mil- military, you begin to see that some folks some folks are peaking. They're, they're peaking and they're not growing anymore. But you, you have this inside edge because you have all these experience that's that's very different from everybody else, and I think um, that's that's what I would I would encourage them to look at the long term. You know that when they get they get older and they get to be leaders of the community, it really sets them apart from every everyone else. Mm-hmm. They bring a lot more um, a lot more rich experiences into their leadership and how they influence the people around them. Yeah, I want to thank Halita Her. Um, Great stories, um, proving everybody wrong. <laughs> Still proving everybody wrong. Uh, I want to thank Travis Yang. Um, like I said, don't shortchange yourself. Living up to expectations—that's no small deal. There, um, 
All right. And this concludes our session of uh, Hmong Americans serving in the military in the United States. Veterans Voices, The Secret War is brought to you by Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities with Hmong Museum and In Progress with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.